0: Hey everyone, it's me, John. This episode is being released on June 2nd, 2020, a time when matters in the world, and especially the United States, are extremely difficult for many people. Today, I'm speaking specifically about the conflict between the police and Black Americans. To varying degrees, this extends to all people of color and their allies. There hasn't been a time in our country when there hasn't been violence committed by officers of the law against Black people, but this has to be the turning point. The system needs a reboot. Dan and I are doing what we can as individuals, but as a team, we want to engage our audience in a different way and use our privilege and platform to help bring about positive change. We know that this may sound silly, and in a lot of ways, we hope that you enjoy the silliness of it, but we're starting a limited podcast series about the Police Academy film and television universe called Podlease Acastomy. Not only will we wax poetic about the clever and often ridiculed franchise, but we will do our best to include voices of people involved with Police Academy as well as fans of the property. That's why we want to encourage you to visit podleaseacastemy.com That's P-O-D-L-I-C-E-A-C-A-S-T-E-M-Y dot and share your thoughts with us about the individual films or the franchise as a whole via email, or by leaving us a voicemail by calling 951-Lessard. While you're at podlisacastome.com, please visit the links, where you can donate to anti-police brutality causes and forms for finding out how you can help. Stay safe, be well, and now, here's us talking about three men and a goddamn baby. Johannes Steinmetz of the Chicago Tribune says, This film works well despite its predictability, perhaps because of it. Variety Magazine says this film is a good showcase for the comic abilities of this threesome, all of whom seem to have their one-liner timing down pat. And about its sequel, Letterboxd user Mallory Andrews says, Not that I expected it to, but this childhood staple does not hold up, though peak post-magnum Tom Selleck does. Meow. On this episode of Bruin Childhoods, we decide the fate of three men and a baby. Sequel. Re, re, -re -re reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Moonchild's podcast.
1: Greetings, Starfighters. It's D to the Izan here with J to the Izan. Nope, that. (laughs)
0: Okay, so before we recorded, Dan told me that he had actually scripted out what he was going to say at risk of not knowing what to say in advance, and Dan, I have to know, did you realize that? Yes. Oh, you scripted out that whole thing, did you?
1: I'm sorry, not to like, you know, I I didn't want to pull back the curtain here, but yeah, this is, so this is like, I think, A Rune Childhood's first That I did not just improvise whatever comes after the greeting starfighters, but, uh, Uh and as earlier today, because I do think about it, it's not like I don't think about it. And then as I'm saying greeting starfighters, I'm like, oh no, I have to, you know, I just never know what it's going to be. And it's like a, you know, a, um, slot machine. You pull the lever, it's shit spinning around. You don't, it could be a cherry. It could be a, you know, dollar sign. Who knows? So okay. I don't know what this was, but yeah, no, and I guess I was listening to one of my uh, my favorite songs earlier today, "Izzo" by Jay Z.
0: Is that one of your favorite songs?
1: Uh, I would say it probably makes the top twenty. Really, in two thousand one, that was that was my in in like late two thousand one, early two thousand two. That was my jam. Really, really. Okay, all right. Yeah. Okay. I am a man of of many tastes. Uh, hey, look, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just I
0: find it surprising, that's all. You find it surprising that I, you know, a fan of uh Hove? I've just I've just never been around you while you've been listening to Jay-Z. Not that you know of. I I guess I might That's
1: fair. I'm like always listening to Jay-Z. There is always
0: Okay. There's always something it's, going it's on. It's always going on in there. there. Yeah, no. Well, right now, our listeners are listening to Ruined Childhoods. Yeah. All right. So the podcast about taking cult and classic movies and imagining what the world would be like if they were brought back as some sort of prequel, sequel, reboot, et cetera. Yeah. When I was just toying around with that, I'd be like, oh, it's like D to the is on,
1: D to the is and, J to the is on. And I thought about... That sec that J to this on, and yeah. I was like, I, oh,
0: "Hmm, that's doesn't
1: work. That's weird." So yeah. Anyway,
0: doesn't work. We have we appreciate have... your attempt. <laughs> it, I, hey, it's all good. It's all good. I hope someone I, got a chuckle so, out of it. Yeah. Uh, well, I certainly did. But so we are talking this month about films from 1987. One of my favorite years in movies just because of how ridiculously fun the movies are it it was for for both of us a formative
1: year for us as moviegoers. yeah it was my i would say 87 was when i really started to get into going to the movies and got into the experience and had fun and especially that summer. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we saw a handful of movies, but the, I just the movies of that summer just stand out to me as like, wow, you had in theaters at, you know, presumably at the same time, you've got Spaceballs and Robocop at La Bamba and Back to the Beach and there was a Benji movie and... Right, Snow White and the Seven Everybody's Doors. Everybody's
0: favorite Benji movie. Yeah, no, it's
1: Benji the Hunted. Uh, so you've got Masters of the Universe that we've talked about,
0: Predator. Yeah, but and you, then you've got Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, for sure. It's it's a wild year, a wild wild year for movies. And I'm I'm so glad that we're celebrating that year. Yeah. Uh, you were ten. Well, let's see. You were like nine, ten, and I was four. Yes. So. Yeah. Great time. Great time to be uh, watching movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It really- Can't say I was watching all those movies at that time, but certainly some of them snuck in.
1: You No, you didn't really get into Predator until you were like closer to eight. Yeah. And Full Metal Jacket was- Eight and three quarters, maybe. Full Metal Jacket, I feel like when you saw it when you were four, you, you liked the second half better than the first half. And then when you
0: saw it when you I were I did older, like the second half- yeah, and everything switched for me. It's just that maturity. Once I hit that, nine or so, that
1: age. If you, yeah. it's kind of like a, a you know Markov point where it's if you when you watch Full Metal Jacket before you turn ten, you're into the you're less into the the training, you're more into the actual battle, and then you hit that maturity. You know, maybe it's maybe it's ten, maybe it's thirteen. The you know coming of age in in right many cultures. That the age when you become an adult and it's like your bar mitzvah, you kind of, you watch Full Metal Jacket and then you're like, I am so more interested in this first half of the movie. And these two characters. It's
0: a different, it's a different scenario altogether. You're, you're bringing his form. It's like you're a little bit more. It's like you're seeing it for the first time,
1: but with the consciousness of having seen it before, like in a past life.
0: Yeah, I think we're done with this bit. Do we want to go over our uh, one more thing from The Exorcist? Why not? Why not? By the way, that's probably the (laughs) most that we're going to talk about
1: Full Metal Jacket because...
0: (laughs) I don't know. Who knows? I'm sure it'll come up another... We're not going to cover that movie, but... You never know when Full Metal Jacket's just going to pop up out of nowhere. Um, So yeah, go for it. So I had a, a few things. One thing I had written down in my notes but forgot to mention is that... Actually, this could, this could, you could probably verify the year. This might have been 87, but we went on a trip to Washington, D.C. And just like Father Karras had uh, quite a bloody incident on a set of stairs
1: at Arlington Cemetery. This was, you, you're damn right. This was, I want to say, November 1986. John, here's my memories. Of that trip. Now, okay. I remember, first of all, the book I was reading at the time, Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing. <laughs> okay. I was appropriately in fourth grade. I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm remembering this correctly, but I'm pretty sure it was, yeah, November 1986, and we were at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier.
0: Right. How well, well do you remember this? <laughs> I only remember mostly what I've been told. So, and I hadn't been told anything in a long time. So I'm remembering being told about this when I was probably 10. So I thought that it was like the changing of the guards. And all I know is that for some reason, so we were sitting on these like concrete steps. Marble. 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 I'm, I'm 95% sure. Marble. Well, somebody had to get some, uh, marble cleaning solution that day because I made a quick turnaround with my head and busted open my chin. Right on on the corner
1: right on the corner of the step. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so Yep. And when we went to the hospital, it was the same hospital where Reagan had been taken a few years earlier when he was shot by John Hankley.
0: Yes. I remember for some reason, hearing that I was being stitched up in the same like room where they had brought Reagan, I remember this. They probably tell that to all the all the three year olds. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Wait, is this the room? Is this the room you brought Reagan after he was shot by John Hinckley because he was trying to get Jodie Foster's attention? Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, you watch sixty um, minutes or one, something? One
0: quick <laughs> one. Uh, one quick question. Um, just to be clear, this is uh, when John Hinckley shot him. That's me when I'm three. Uh, So, the other thing I remember about that trip is that I believe I so I had a doll named Charlie. Yes, and Charlie it was a Fisher Price doll, mass produced with the name Charlie on it. I did not come up with the name, and I believe I left Charlie in a cab. And our father like tracked down the cab and got it back. Either that, or he made that up. No, when I was pissed off at him for something at some point. <laughs> no, I don't think he would go to that effort.
1: No, I mean the effort of making something up. I do. That does sound familiar to me, though. That Ch- about Charlie being left
0: in a cab. That sounds. And Charlie now belongs to my daughter, who loves Charlie dearly. Wow, it's amazing. Yeah. So that was uh our, our trip to DC, which I was thinking about the uh the bloody stairway in in well, DC and it's like oh,
1: memories. That reminds me <laughs> I need to track down my photos of when I was in DC in two thousand ten. It's two thousand nine uh-huh. or two thousand ten. Um, and walked the steps and have pictures of right. myself on the steps. So I made it. Uh, Um, so, and, and that actually kind of segues nicely to my exorcist. One more thing, which, okay. Two more things. Uh, one is just something that didn't come up on that episode, but is worth mentioning whenever you're thinking about, uh, producing, uh, adding to the exorcist legacy. And that's the kind of rash of strange accidents. Some of them deadly, that have happened on the sets of exorcist films. And uh, it's kind of known as this like exorcist curse where it's like, Oh, some light will fall on a stunt person. Pazuzu. You all trickster. Well, we know Pazuzu has a wicked sense of humor and, and yeah, is certainly vengeful though. I would think Pazuzu would be happy because who's the real star of, of these films minus exorcist three. Ellen Burstyn? Oh, no, 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 Pazuzu. 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 Come on. It's, it's like how- The Pazoo's. It's like how, come on, you know, the, the, real, the real star of The Rock, San Francisco.
0: <laughs> yeah, sure.
1: Alcatraz. Alcatraz Island is the real Every, star of that movie.
0: Yeah, so like everyone loves the scenes of them going down that really steep, windy street. <laughs> the chase, though, that's a great chase scene. Anyway, we're not talking about The Rock. I'm not going
1: to go off on a tangent.
0: Okay, so yeah, the the curse of of the Exorcist, and one other thing that we didn't, but another thing that we didn't mention is that, and this is still, you know, along similar lines, is that one of the people in the Exorcist was an actual serial killer, the um kind of physician's assistant when Reagan is getting the procedure to take the imaging, uh-huh. the guy with the beard was uh an actual serial killer and it d- wasn't discovered until after or I don't know if he had been an active serial killer at that time but was uh and actually I believe was the basis for another Friedkin movie uh Cruising Oh really? Oh he was the I basis for Cruising? I think he was cruising? maybe the the inspiration So pretty interesting. So Cruising is a wild movie. I have never seen Cruising. I have heard about it. You should definitely check it out. It's it might be my favorite Pacino movie. Like it was before really? he be, it was like Pacino. Pacino.
1: Yeah, I can't. So uh, I am not even going to try to do an Al Pacino. We will wait until we have Caesar Gracia with us, uh, who does uh, my favorite Al Pacino impression.
0: Okay. Yeah. I uh, so this is like before he was the Pacino that people do impressions of. And it is completely wild. It takes place in the like 1970s New York underground SM scene. And there was a show, God, I want to say it was on Comedy Central briefly called John Benjamin Has a Van. Oh, yeah. Are you at all familiar? Yeah. So it was uh, early Nathan Fielder is on that show as like a sound guy. And. There is a cruising like reference in like one scene that's like you don't know what it is unless you know what it is. It's a weird thing to have a reference to in a comedy show. It definitely has a like a cult
1: behind it though uh-huh, so I was just looking up and uh to see just crazy stuff about the, the exorcist. Uh, and I wanted to see if the, if anything had happened on the set of the television series, which by the way, okay. finished season one. And it's like, well, I have my qualms with it and I roll my eyes at least once per episode. I am compelled to continue watching. I no, I am. Not, I'm okay. sorry. There's no okay. better word to use. I want to keep, Watching, Uh, second season, it, it gets away from the whole, uh, story with Gina, with Gina Davis as the adult.
0: Oh, does it follow brain. somebody else?
1: Yeah. It's kind of like, and this season, well, so it, it's like season one ends with, with father Tomas, the, the young doubting priest, like by the end of the season, he has like, he has no more doubt and he has his calling. And this is after father Marcus, has said to him like you know you know you could be great like you'd be a great exorcist and it's kind of like this <laughs> like almost like a like like older gunslinger young gunslinger and he's like you know you could be good you yeah know, you, you'd be good at this and he's like at the end at the end he's like that's who I am it's what I do I am an exorcist and they oh boy and well this is when he has to perform an exorcism spoiler alert on Gina Davis not uh,
0: yeah.
1: Oh yeah. No. How is Gina Davis in it? Yeah, I have enjoyed her in the she she has fun. She goes full like Charlie Baltimore. Oh, okay. Spoiler alerts, again, during the exorcism of her daughter, she's in the room and at a certain point she invites Pazuzu to take her instead. Oh,
0: so the way that Karis does that yeah yeah
1: so the demon kind of possesses her but it's kind of like since the demon's already been in her he's claiming that it's it, that he's achieved integration which is where you cannot separate the person from the demon and she kind of takes control of this plot that they have to to kill the pope and like high basically like high up in the catholic church there are just tons of like possessed priests oh. that
0: are integrated. Okay. Like they're
1: into like the demons have integrated fully.
0: So that's how Pazuzu's story ends. He is now part of Reagan. Well, no, cause then they perform an exorcism. She, it, 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 There it
1: wasn't oh, actual okay. integration. The demon was exaggerating.
0: okay. Well, fa-
1: father, oh, father, to- gotcha. father Tomas felt that, there was not integration he felt like he could he could do it and the whole family really contributes to the exorcism they all pick up the Uh, bible and they all do the call and response so uh it's no it, it ends with like them just like they're gonna leave like they're gonna leave chicago they're gonna move somewhere they're gonna like go to canada or just Go somewhere and kind of... Yeah, Pazuzu's never seen
0: Canada yet, so... That bitch can't cross borders. You know, oh, wait, except how did he had to get here from Iraq. He's been to... <laughs> yeah, who's in Iraq, and then he went to DC, and then Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. No, Let Pazuzu see the world. Yeah, but you know what,
1: though? Canada's too nice a place. Canadians and are too nice. And universal health care. Pazuzu's just like, <laughs> does that include exorcisms? Does universal health care include Is that exorcisms? covered? What if it's a pre-existing condition? Like you've been, like Reagan would qualify, would Reagan oh, qualify well, for that? Reagan.
0: Oh my God. Yeah. So, Ugh. but
1: Gina, da- when Gina Davis gets possessed and and she turns all cold, there's some, there's some weird, there's like, like some creepiness at one point with the daughter because they've already established that Pazuzu is, is pretty pervy. So Gotcha. Yeah. So that's okay. that's my one more thing for The Exorcist is basically there's two seasons of the TV show. And if if you're into that, if that's entertaining to you, I recommend it. Check it out. Currently streaming. Uh, I watched it on Hulu.
0: Cool. Yeah. Our friend French fry Phil has a kind of a one more thing for The Exorcist. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read Phil's email if you don't mind. Go for it. Phil says... Do you guys remember in the 80s before cable television exploded, it seemed like every Saturday afternoon there was always either a couple of westerns or horror movies on local channels. That's how I saw a partial version of The Exorcist. That was enough for me. And as much as I love the Ruined Childhoods podcast, oh, thanks, bud, you couldn't convince me to watch it again. Still an entertaining listen as always. Thanks, bud. It's it's so cool that like even a edited for television, your mother knit socks that smell version can scare Somebody so badly that they still won't
1: watch it again. Well, and to respond to, to Phil's email, that was how I, I first saw it. I, I, I think I said on the episode, like taped off of the USA Network and where it was on, mm. like whatever, late at night. And it was an edited, it was a cut down version and it still, it scared me enough to say, oh, there's, this is based on a book. 'Cause by then I figured out right. the books have like ten times more stuff.
0: So you put down Tale of a Fourth Grade Nothing and uh picked up the exorcist. Well I think by seventh grade I had <laughs> I
1: finished Tale of a Fourth Grade Nothing by the time I was you in the You wrote the Tale grade. of a Seventh grade somewhat something. Oh no, if that no I was a seventh grade nothing. Um <laughs> So. <laughs> no, I was I, I like if you take if you look at who demons possess, I was like ripe for possession in seventh grade, but <laughs> didn't happen. So you hadn't yet discovered the theater. The theater? No, I, yeah, yeah, kind of. I I hadn't yet discovered. Uh, yeah, I just I had a hairstyle that didn't work with my body, and I wore clothes that didn't work with the hairstyle <laughs> or the body, and it just kept <laughs> going and going and going. So. Uh- Fuck seventh grade. I'm sorry. I hate seventh grade was the worst. Oh, okay. I'm saying right now. Yeah. Fuck seventh grade.
0: All right. Yeah. All right. Take that. There's more. There's more to Phil's email. Oh, yes. Phil also goes on to say, in 1987, I would have told you that Ernest Goes to Camp was the best movie of the year. I'm not sure we're even allowed to watch that movie anymore. It may have been further vaulted by Disney with Song of the South. In hindsight, my top three are the very underappreciated Three O'Clock High, Throw Mama from the Train, and the previously casted Princess Bride, none of which I actually saw in 87, but all of which I still love to watch. Thanks for writing, Phil. If anybody wants to uh, write us an email, it's ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com. Ernest Goes to Camp, I I have, I mean, I know I saw it when I was I haven't a kid, seen but it. I have not seen it at all recently. I,
1: I'm trying to remember why it would be, you know, moratoriumed.
0: yeah. I know I watched Ernest Goes to Jail within the past decade. That's arguably the best one. Goes to Jail is pretty wild. I remember Scared Stupid pretty vividly. There are some things, there's one thing from Ernest Scared Stupid that Scott, our brother, and I reference without thinking about it all the time. And that is, there's this goblin going around and there's like this old text that tells you the only way to defeat, do you know what I'm talking about at all? The only way to defeat this goblin. And it is the word milk. But like the page is so old that the letter L in milk is like rubbed out and it just says M-I like blank K and he thinks it says MIAK, M-I-A-K. And uh, I want to say this was like right around the time my kid was born. Scott was at visiting and we brought out some milk for her. And he's like, ah, Miak," And I was just like, what? Did you seriously just reference Ernest scared stupid? <laughs> but like, who does that? He does. But it's, you know, it's great. And I just referring back to Phil's email I don't know if we're going to be. We might cover three o'clock high. We've talked
1: about three o'clock high.
0: I. Ha- we've talked about it. We've talked about it on the kindergarten Cop episode. Yeah, Richard Tyson. Yeah, Richard. Uh, Richard Tyson. Yeah, and
1: God bless you. And three o'clock high. So it, in my teaching life, I've been doing some remote teaching of of mice and men. So the movie's been on my mind, and the other star of three o'clock high, Casey Shimasco is in that movie. So i whenever I watch Of My Men, I I tend to think of three o'clock high, but I never see it streaming anywhere and I haven't necessarily sought it out to watch it in quite some time.
0: I wonder with this new boom of streaming services, it's available anywhere. It has to be so do you know what do, do you know what studio put that out? This is me asking you to reach back into your uh into your psyche. Like I want it's on it's on Stars through Amazon. So like if you subscribe to Stars through the Amazon app. Oh, no, it, it is actually on Stars proper, which I currently have uh, because I needed to do a trial for this show and it was like a long deal or something. Yeah, I don't. I, so we could do that. I wanted to say three
1: o'clock high was like the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group, uh, who also produced our, 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 <laughs> our next week's film. Uh, or next oh, okay. Episode. yeah. Which
0: that that makes sense to me. I feel like they both are in this of the same ilk. Three o'clock high. I remember watching that on must have been HBO or like the Comedy Channel, maybe pre Comedy Central. Yeah, it would have been on.
1: I mean, I I'm pretty sure I I am pretty sure I rented it on VHS when it when it came out. Like I think that was I was definitely interested in in seeing it. So but
0: we'll we'll hold off in case we uh we'll hold yeah. off on that. I don't know what's so say much more. shall we shall we get into three men and a baby. The number one box
1: office hit of nineteen eighty seven. Yeah. Outgrossing fatal attraction, because if not one, the other.
0: <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, this movie is not what you would expect. Directed- I mean, I had watched it. Directed by Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy. Yes. So this is one where you see it and you think, oh, it's a kid's movie. Wait, something weird happens. And if you don't mind, I'll just launch into a synopsis. Three men and a baby follows Peter, Jack, and Michael. Three bachelor roommates who live in an impossibly amazing New York City penthouse apartment across the street from Central Park. Peter, portrayed by Tom Selleck, is a big-time commercial architect. Steve Guttenberg's Michael is a celebrated comic artist, most known for his comic strip character, Johnny Cool. And Ted Danson plays Jack, a working actor who can't seem to keep it in his pants. While Jack is out of town on a shoot, his manager tells him that a package is going to be coming to their apartment and someone is going to come pick it up about five days later. Michael and Peter are stunned when they find a baby at their front door with a note indicating that it's Jack's child, Mary. Assuming this is the package that they heard about, they do their best to care for the baby until someone comes to get it. When a couple of sleazy guys come to pick up the package, Michael and Peter hand over the baby in a container of formula, which they assume is the $250,000 worth of heroin that the sleazes were expecting. The guys suspect that something is fishy, so they get the baby back but not without a big fuss from the Sleezes and a cop named Sergeant Melkowitz. The guys realize that the package that was supposed to be picked up was actually a small box that arrived shortly after Mary was discovered. Michael removed the heroin from the box and shoves it into a lining of a diaper so that no one can find it. After Jack gets back into town and fulfills the prophecy of the movie's title, the guys have to find a way to bust the drug smugglers and keep Mary safe. All the while, they are growing more and more fond of Mary, which becomes an issue when Sylvia, Mary's mother, comes back into the picture to get the baby and bring her back to her home in England. The guys come up with the ultimate solution. Sylvia can move in with them and the four of them can raise Mary together. Sylvia being portrayed by Nancy Travis. Nancy Travis. Travis. In in one of her, I guess, big roles of the 80s and 90s. Now she's on, I think, that show Last Man Standing with-
1: Yeah, Tim Allen
0: yeah, Tim Allen. I am particularly fond of her in so I married Na murder oh, of course, yeah. And uh, yeah. so in this the, the whole heroine thing is wild. And th- what's interesting about this movie is that the the heroine storyline ends. and then there's still like a half hour left of the movie, at least. It's kind of like, all right, now what? And then it's like, okay, now we just have a baby. Yeah. We don't have a baby plus heroin.
1: Now it's just three men and a baby and Nancy Travis.
0: Yeah. And, you know, so this is a an adaptation of a movie uh, called Hommes et un Coffin." You can correct my pronunciation, but it it's, it translates to three men in a cradle. And which has, I I believe, the exact same storyline. Yeah. And that one came out only two years before this. It was 85. So they were pretty quick to adapt it for the American audience. And uh, yeah, it is crazy. I mean, it's definitely built around the concept of three of Hollywood's big stars. Well, although if you... They were... Mostly television, except for Gutenberg.
1: Gutenberg, right? Gutenberg at that point. I mean, Gutenberg's nineteen eighty-seven kind of kicked off with Police Academy Four, and then you got Three Men and a Baby. I mean, geez, that's a year for you, right there.
0: What year was Cocoon?
1: Eighty-five.
0: Eighty-five. Right. So
1: yeah, no, he yeah. So
0: he's been he's been in it for a while, but you got you know was wait was what year did Magnum PI start? Oh. I don't expect you to know that off the top of your head. Early, like seven, like late, I want to say late
1: seventies, because it was because of Magnum PI that Tom Selleck couldn't play Indiana Jones.
0: Oh, it was nineteen eighty, December of uh-huh. nineteen eighty, and yeah, so Tom Selleck had been, you know, definitely made his his name in television. They had all done movies uh,
1: before this, but this, sure, was- sure,
0: yeah, I think for Ted
1: Danson and Tom Selleck, this was the biggest. The highest pro these these were I think their highest profile film roles to to date, yeah. And I mean, I guess you could say the same for Steve Gutenberg, though he had already been kind of in that oh, Hollywood totally. leading man category.
0: Yeah, Short Circuit, obviously the, the Police aforementioned
1: movies. Police Academy.
0: Yeah. So and, and I've actually been watching during our quarantine times. I've been. Brushing up, going through all of Cheers, which I had seen, I've definitely seen plenty of Cheers before, but never all of it straight through. And it had been a very, very long time. So it's been really fun watching vintage Ted Danson, who, I mean, and clearly his career has gone to amazing, amazing places. Oh, yeah. And he's probably more famous now than he was I, I don't know. He's probably equally famous now than he was then. It's it's just this legacy.
1: Ted Danson just has this wonderful legacy of of both not just like I don't want to say carrying a show, um, but kind of yeah. being the you cause I guess he's the lead character of Cheers. He would he,
0: yeah, but it is really an ensemble it's
1: show. It's very much an ensemble show, but he also though, he plays such a great supporting character at both in curb your enthusiasm, yeah uh, you oh know, my God. playing that version the of good himself. Place. Yeah. Um, the good yeah, the good place exactly. Uh and then you see him like, He was great on board to death,
0: right which I think we might have talked about before we, yes, on, yes. on this show. Yeah. Great on board to death.
1: And, um, oh, what was the other? Becker? Oh, no, Becker, yeah. No, I was thinking of, because I remember he pops up in, is it Saving Private Ryan? Yeah, I think it's Saving Private Ryan. Yes. Where, like, Ted Danson is commanding, like, another platoon and has an interaction with Tom Hanks. Uh huh. And you're like, they come across. I, 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 I wasn't sure if I was confusing it with the thin red line. But that's George Clooney who pops up in that.
0: It's funny that you should say that because I believe I was listening to Ted Danson and Mary Steenburgen, the Burgen Mary, on a (laughs) a podcast called In Bed with Nick and Megan, with Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally. Uh. And he is going, and Nick Offerman is going through some of his credits and mentions the thin red line. And Ted Danson is like... Thank you for saying that. Although I wasn't in the Thin Red Line, I was in Saving Private Ryan. So, uh, common mistake.
1: Yes. Yes. Well, I, I mean, they both came out in the same in the same year. And Saving right. Private Ryan had that same element of, oh, isn't that? Although the Thin Red Line was, it was like Woody Harrelson is in the Thin Red Line,
0: Sean Penn. Yeah.
1: That, that's that's awesome. Man. Yeah. It's a great movie.
0: Yeah, totally. So, but Three Men so, and the Baby. Yeah. Three Men and a Baby, it's really a wild ride. I believe it was put out by Touchstone. Yeah, Touchstone. Yeah, so it's Touchstone because the other distributors, the other studios weren't interested in what was considered to be a kid's movie. Yeah. Although it's really wild that a movie with a quarter million dollars worth of heroin would be considered a, a kid's movie. In the, in the there 1980s? There is a kid in it. <laughs> In the, i guess yeah it's rated I pg guess so. yeah i mean mm-hmm. yeah in in the 1980s that so yeah. dan i i watched this movie recently you haven't watched this one in a while correct yeah it's been some time but i've i've seen it i saw it in the theater do you remember what their apartment was like yes yes Oh, absolutely! It doesn't make sense. No, it it's the coolest place in the world. Why? It doesn't make any sense. The kitchen is like in a greenhouse on the roof. I don't understand what's it going. on. It does not exist, and I'm 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 trying to
1: remember which I know it's one of the buildings across from Central Park. It might be a building that um, a friend of mine lived in. Really? For some time, yes. My my friend Leslie from Cubicle, okay, the, you know, sketch group back in the day. Um, yeah. so yeah, well, I mean, like Leslie's parents, I think, um, are in real estate and manage a bunch of different buildings. So, but huh. it's like one of the, it's, it's like in that row of a par- where they are before, before three men and a little lady where they move up. But yeah, yeah. I don't understand. First of all, why are three?
0: Well, okay. Jack is the least successful he's the least successful but he still works yeah i don't think that it gets into how they know each other but you have to assume that they're like childhood best friends or something yeah there's really no backstory on that (laughs) yeah they are they're super bachelors so they just i mean tom Selleck is with somebody but it is not an it's an open relationship yeah so oh you
1: know I wonder sorry here I'm just kind of spitballing on on that apartment but it makes me wonder if the three of them if they each had let's say in that building you've got you know three separate apartments on one floor and what if the the three of those guys like they each had their own apartments and it was like hey you like having parties and having lots of ladies over I like doing that why don't we just break down some walls
0: hey I'm an architect. Yeah, right. So the elevator, it says like PH on their floor. So it's like, okay, penthouse. penthouse. yeah. And the elevator opens up and it's just a little area and their door. It just, it doesn't make any sense. You're right. It definitely, you can move through it like you're moving from different place to different place because each of their rooms has a very different energy to it. Right. And the... The kitchen is just completely bananas.
1: Yeah, I, it's people talk about the apartment and friends.
0: Right. And oh, this is that and, on heroin. <laughs> a diaper's worth. This is that on a quarter of a million dollars worth of heroin. Yeah, diapers worth of heroin.
1: Yeah, no, this is Laura, or, or a lot of 1980s Wall Street cocaine.
0: Yeah, so uh, Tom Selleck's character is a very successful architect. He's the type of guy who goes to. Ribbon cutting ceremonies, and you know he's in like big time commercial architecture in Manhattan, in New which York is, City. Yeah, yeah, he can. Which you have to be making a ton of money. He can on. afford to live there. Yes, and is it Michael Steve Gutenberg's yeah. character has this comic strip? I don't know what that pays, but people know his character isn't there
1: like merchandise cool. isn't isn't there like johnny yes. cool merchandise is was he like supposed to be yeah. like garfield or something
0: i don't know but that brings me to an interesting thing that i did not write down in my notes because i wanted to bring it up but i wanted to but i wrote it down in my notes because it was the only document i had open where i could take notes and dan let me ask you if you were to have a garfield podcast would you call it under normal circumstances, or I Zanya? <laughs> under normal
1: circumstances, or I Zanya, like I Claudius, or
0: like I Tanya, but I, oh, Zonya, oh, I like okay.
1: lasagna. Oh, yeah. Um, wow, I wish I had had more preparation. For this, because I would have been able to. I was
0: not planning on bringing this up, but you brought up Garfield, and I happened to write that down in my notes to just remind myself for another time. I think I. Lo- if you have an idea for a name for a Garfield podcast, write us ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com. I mean, between those two,
1: I, under normal circumstances. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Well,
0: oh, well, and
1: wow. That, so that's so strange because, of course, the other day I was uh, on Twitter and i was ruining names of musicals by changing a letter because it was that week and oh it was that week it was yeah. that week and i changed next to normal to next to normal Yeah. a garfield <laughs> musical
0: so that oh i'd i'd watch that or no maybe you just would you just call it <laughs> odious, odious, odie i don't know <laughs> yeah odie cast i don't know so all right. all right so three men and a baby it's completely insane it has the uh, the famous story about there being a ghost of a child and and like the story is that the house that they were shooting in there was like a kid who was murdered there but that's impossible because they were shooting on a set and it's been debunked as saying that what people are seeing as the ghost of a child is actually a cardboard cutout of Ted Danson that you see later in the movie. And when you look at the pictures, it's like, oh, yeah, that's totally what it is. But I love that that is the urban legend behind Three men and a Baby. Oh, going back. that one that one goes back,
1: I mean, pretty much all the way to when it was released. That's not like a new like internet thing,
0: <laughs> right. But I think that like debunking it is a new internet thing because now people can actually. You know, with DVDs and stuff like that, people can <laughs> maybe more closely analyze with that state of the art 2020
1: DVD technology. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. You know what I mean? Yes.
0: In in the late 80s, they weren't able to go like frame by frame and like clear up the background of an image to better see what it looks like. Not with
1: your standard Sony VCR. No. No.
0: Yeah. Not with your Sony VCR. No. So
1: yeah, so three men and a baby. It's a fun movie.
0: And then there's three men and a little lady. Dan, do you mind? (laughs) Go right ahead. Jack, Michael, Peter, Sylvia, and Mary are back. It's about five years later, and the gang has settled into an amazingly impossible brownstone in New York. All is well until Sylvia's snooty mother comes to visit and gives her a hard time about not being married and raising her daughter with three American nincompoops. After a half-assed proposal from Jack, and some grief from Peter, with whom she has grown quite fond, Sylvia accepts the marriage proposal of the snooty director of her play, Edward. This proposal comes at an even greater price. Sylvia and Mary would be moving to England with Edward. While Jack is off shooting a movie, Michael and Peter head to England to surprise Mary and Sylvia at the wedding, but Peter's affection for Sylvia gets the best of him, and he comes up with a new plan. He's gonna prove to Sylvia that edward has lied to her and intends to send mary to an all-girls boarding school against sylvia's wishes after some farcical antics and the arrival of jack into the mix fulfilling the prophecy of the movie's title the three men and the little lady interrupt the wedding and sylvia instead decides to marry peter okay so what's been actually really interesting And one thing that I actually really liked about Three Men and a Little Lady is that when Jack, Ted Danson's character, comes to England, the his role in the farce, in in the whole scheme, is to replace the vicar who is going to be performing the ceremony. And he has this whole like a latex face, hair, wig, ears, like this whole getup on. To trick everybody into thinking that he's the replacement vicar. And it's so funny. He's so good at it. I love seeing Ted Danson doing goofy. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah.
1: Otherwise, Three Men and a Little Lady is a movie that I consistently claim to not have seen until I go and read a (laughs) synopsis and then realize that I have seen it. At least once.
0: (laughs) I, I I think this was my first time seeing it. And both of the movies, I believe, are on Disney+. Plus. So if you got it, you can check them out. It's nuts. The the little girl who plays Mary is great. She is exactly the right amount of precocious and uh, extremely likable. And, you know, it doesn't seem weird that she's being raised by her mom and these three guys, one of whom is her actual father. But it's kind of implied that Tom Selleck's character Peter has taken on more of the fa- the actual father role. Yeah, because Jack is still you know doing his Jack thing. Peter is
1: like by far the most mature from yes. the first film, and, and they and they make that clear with his job. Like he's the he's the, I mean Michael is clearly very successful in in yeah. his work. But th- there's just that sense that the job of the architect is taken more seriously and therefore the architect is the most serious and mature one.
0: Sure. Yeah. And it's like Jack is getting commercials and he's getting roles in movies yeah. like he is working and I'm sure he's making decent money. Maybe not brownstone in Manhattan money, but yeah. Yeah. He's doing all right. He is in, you know, they're like national commercials that he's in. So that's true. Yeah. I'm sure he's doing fine. I believe there was a one for a laxative that comes up in this one, which of course is like always the the joke to make when somebody is talking about like acting in a commercial. Of course, it's going to be
1: about your stools. Laxatives, erectile dysfunction. um, Yeah. Yeah. One of those. One of those.
0: Yeah. People didn't talk about that. At that time. In 1990?
1: No. No. Not so much.
0: Uh, yeah. So you now remember that you have seen this movie. Yeah. Do you do you remember much about it? Oh, yeah. No, I remember the whole thing. I remember I was always confused because if we're
1: supposed to like... Oh, God. What's Nancy Travis's character? Sylvia. 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 Uh We like Sylvia, but then why would Sylvia marry this guy who's so... Ob- I remember this guy just being like, obviously obnoxious talk about odious
0: yeah well she's under pressure from her mom who's got a real stick up her ass and it is it's very weird it's not a typical thing that happens her mom says you should be married and then instantly she's like yep you're right okay i guess i'll just accept the marriage proposal from this douchebag and then like moves on it's like no time really goes by, and Sylvia also is extremely successful. Oh yeah, she is. Yeah, she's starring on Broadway, I believe. Oh yeah, like she's doing great. No, she's. If you think about it,
1: these. I mean, of course, the yes, these movies are are dated in the way that something like Mister Mom. It's like okay, yeah. W- We know the guys are clueless and, you know, yeah. a baby, what do I do with this? And, and it's very much, it fits in that, in that time. And in fact, if you think about it in in 1987, I think this was the third movie to come out that was like, ah, baby, what do I do with this? Cause you had baby boom and she's having a baby. Yeah. All that same. I think all that's like fall, that fall.
0: Baby Boom is one that I constantly am about to watch and then ultimately decide to watch something else. <laughs> I I love Diane Keaton. Ah, she's I remember really loving Baby Boom, but for some reason I just like never pull the trigger on actually watching it. But I don't know. Maybe we'll cover it on this podcast. Who knows? It's it's I will,
1: There's Babies, there's if, Diane Keaton.
0: For anybody who is an avid listener, and or is familiar with my wife's uh, tendency to not remember the correct names for things or call things by the wrong name. I can't remember if this was one that she actually... No, this was... We used to play a game where one of (laughs) us would come up with... uh, We would think of a name of a movie or something like that, and the other person would have to guess what it is. And uh, without very many clues or anything like that, it's not like a 20 questions thing where you get all these clues. And I was thinking of baby boom and she got very close. She guessed infant explosion. And uh, that is what got us to baby boom, but infant. (laughs) So now whenever I see baby boom, I think infant explosion.
1: I'm fairly certain that I've heard that story before and I will laugh that hard (laughs) <laughs> Every time I hear that story. That's, but if you haven't, if you're not, if you don't know what we're talking about, I recommend that you go back into our archives for our Soap Dish episode. Soap Dish. From last yeah, August. Laura was on that. Yes. Yeah. Masterfully inventing new names and melding different ones together. Yeah. Check it out. So... John. W- I, I'm pretty sure I heard talk of it that like they were trying to do a sequel like Three
0: Men and a Bride or... Yes. So Three Men and a Bride has been getting kicked around since I think like 2013, maybe even earlier oh, than that. I think,
1: I think earlier than that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it was the, uh, the point where I think like the three guys, they were all on board and I guess there was maybe a script but nothing ever happened with it and it seems like that plan is tossed because there allegedly is going to be a Three Men and a Baby reboot series for Disney Plus
1: of course there so, is
0: So yeah although I do love the idea of Ted Danson, Tom Selleck and Steve Guttenberg although Tom Selleck was, I mean, is Blue Blood still on the air? I know he was yeah. doing that for like 100 years. I think so. And, uh, you know, Steve Gutenberg, I don't know if he's really doing too much acting anymore. Clearly, Ted Danson still is active, but it, it'd be fun to see the three of them doing the thing again. And I, I think that, I, I mean, Three Men and a Bride, sure, it, it makes sense Yeah, to to do something like that. Sure. I mean, let's I see. Know. Mary would be no uh, thirty, early thirties. If you have the right people behind it, yeah, I think that's what really makes the difference. Any ideas? But of, you know,
1: like who would you, if you had to pick someone?
0: Yes, yes, I would want it to be Dan Levy of Schitt's Creek. I uh, I was thinking Sam Richardson, who was on Detroiters and Veep. Oh yeah, and. I and also his Detroiters buddy Tim Robinson, also of I think you should leave. I think that would be a really fun. That would be the three. Oh, I thought. See, I thought because um, I was like, oh, who would you have? Oh, I thought you're talk- I thought you were talking about re- uh, recasting for the 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 series.
1: No, no, no. I meant like if if you were gonna do a three men and a bride, which we know isn't happening. Okay, I think Dan Levy's a great like uh, um creative
0: mind. Yeah. To do that. Oh yeah. Oh, so you were were you asking about the Mary for Three Men and a Bride? No, just like who would
1: you have directed? Who we were talking about, you need the right people oh, to behind the it. camera. And, you know, who would when or or like or write the script. So that's what I thought you were uh-huh. suggesting Dan
0: Levy for. Well, which no, I but I somebody who I've mentioned Several times, who I think would be great, is John Francis Daly, mm-hmm. who did Game Night. Another person who I think would be great, who just did uh, The Lovebirds, is Michael Showalter. I would like either of them. Okay. How about you? Any thoughts? Oh, of who I would put but
1: you know, because um, I just kind of felt like the idea, I, I, I felt like it was kind of like it was done. It wasn't going to happen. Jeez, you brought up Dan leaving. Now I'm just thinking about how well he... Yeah. But how how well Shit's Creek has balance of of really like hilarious and bizarre like kind of outlandish situations, but right. uh like a ton of heart, and that's what a three men and a blank whatever movie needs if it's going to I think be. A third. If this is going to make a trilogy with three men and a baby, and three men and a little lady, and you know, yeah, of course, it sounds like it's not going to happen. But whatever, I think he'd be great, and I think uh, you could. I don't know who you would cast as as Mary and Emma Stone. <laughs> uh, uh, I was thinking Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Mary Elizabeth Winstead is great. Yeah. No, no conflicts there. Yeah, <laughs> no conflicts. there. I have no conflicts. Uh, there.
0: Uh, there was also a. I don't know if rumor or if like this was something that was maybe going to happen. Cause I read about this on Fandango and this was from an, an article from uh, 2011, but that it was going to be remade with Adam Sandler as a producer and with David Spade, Chris Rock and Rob Schneider playing the lead roles. And the concept is that they are all gay and together. I'm not Quite sure. There's not much on, uh, you know, th- it's a very short article. I mean, I can go and read it. So it says, finds the guys as gay lovers. On top of that, Spade, Rock, and Schneider are going to be playing the lead roles, and Sandler's going to produce. Then they go on to just talk about other things that Sandler's going to do, like about to do Hotel Transylvania and star opposite himself in drag in Jack and Jill out in November. <laughs> so. Oh, boy. Yeah. We can be great. So that, that was something not that I guess is- pass. Yeah. It was being kicked around, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Dan, what would you do?
1: Yeah. I was trying to think about, I'm like, what backstory is there? Okay. Do we really need a, do we really need a whole movie about how the three guys became friends? No, not really. Okay. So then what do you do? The, the concept of, of three men being like, it, it seems a little outdated so I was trying to think of the formula. How do you combine the formula? And at first I was I was like, oh, three men and an alien. Oh, wait, that was Paul. Uh, right. Where two guys just end up with an alien and end up in more trouble than.
0: And my favorite Lorenzo's oil joke of all time. Of, well, I mean,
1: the I think the <laughs> only Lorenzo's oil joke outside of ours, which are references to that one. <laughs> Dan, that joke was written for us. If not us, who else? Other than Nick Nolte and Susan Sarandon. And Margot Martindale. And Margot Martindale. God bless her for being in everything. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: so where I landed on this was I thought about what we do in the shadows. Because I thought about, cause, cause I, thought about I, was like, wh- I was like, what if it was like three vampires and a werewolf? I'm like, Or just like three uh-huh. vampires and a baby. What if they did that on what we do in the shadows?
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, I mean, you're right. The whole concept of men not knowing how to take care of a child is extremely outdated. However, I think that establishing them as being like career bachelors helps a little bit where it's not as much of like a Mr. Mom situation where it's just like he is a dad but just doesn't know how to take care of his own kids.
1: But I think this time it should just all be like a bunch of like Wolf of Wall Street, like traders living together. <laughs> Cause that I would, I think that's the one circumstance where I would really want to see like, oh God, what are these three douchebags going to do now that, with this baby? And be like, I don't know, bro. I don't know, bro. What do you do, bro? I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, do some pushups. I don't know. Think about it. <laughs> No man. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I clearly should not be writing the script, but yeah. No, no, no. Uh but yeah. So that's kind of where I landed on it was. I would love to see it as a kind of an arc on what we do in the shadows, or if there was ever going to be another film, perhaps the plot of that some type of three men and a baby parody where the vampires end up with the baby.
0: Well, I mean, another thing. Talking about like. Well, I mean, yes, that's a movie, but also a TV show. But thinking about other like TV shows where it's like doesn't necessarily have to be men. What if it was like, and I know this would never happen, but like a Broad City movie where it's Abby and Alana and like Bevers, John Gemberling, and they have to take care of a baby. Okay, like Bevers has a child that he you know is left on his doorstep, and they have to. Take care of this child. Like, I could see that playing out amazingly. And the two of them, like, two of them not being men still works because they are ridiculous people. That's all you need to have is ridiculous people. I,
1: I, I totally agree with you. Totally agree. And I think that's an excellent example of who would be really great at this.
0: But the one thing that you would need is one character from the original three minute baby to recur and be the same character doing the same exact thing is the grocery store clerk who directs Tom Selleck to where the baby aisle is a very young Dave Foley. That's right. I was like, Oh my God, that's Dave. And he has like one line and that's it. He's just like marking up packs of toilet paper or something. You (laughs) got to bring him back for the, for the new one.
1: No kidding. As yeah. the same character. And w- was Dylan Baker anywhere in the background?
0: No, sorry, Dan. Ah. Uh, sorry. I, <laughs> Dylan, Dylan, am I thinking of the right... Di- yeah. So I think that we've established what needs to happen with this, and it is the Broad City or what uh, what they do in the shadows type yeah. of three-minute-a-baby situation. Now, now, th- now that you mention it, because
1: I think at least how they p- present themselves on Broad City... Yeah, I, that to me would be would be funnier, though. I love the humor of what we do in in the shadows. And
0: yeah, I haven't seen the series. I've seen the movie. Yeah, Have you watch the show. I haven't seen the show
1: yet, but I get the sense that it, it's a very similar style.
0: I love that the werewolves don't swear. They're very like polite or <laughs> We're werewolves, not swearwolves. Yes, <laughs> that part's so good. It's so uh, funny. yeah. So, Dan, you were talking about Wall Street traders. That's going to lead perfectly into what we're going to be dealing with on our <laughs> next episode oh, of Road Childhoods.
1: Yes, because I don't even need to say the year because it's all going to be 1987. And we're taking a look at the John Cryer starring vehicle, which in 1987 could have meant a lot of things. But we are talking about Hiding Out.
0: yes. And with us will be, my guess is number two on the call sheet, Keith Coogan. Keith Coogan, yes. Plays plays John Cryer's cousin in,
1: in this. Yeah, in, in Keith hiding Coogan,
0: out. also of Adventures in Babysitting, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's is Dead. Uh, toy really, Soldiers. Toy Soldiers, grandson of Jackie Coogan. Oh, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So uh, we're really excited to have Keith on to talk about Hiding Out. Can't and wait. let's try not to embarrass ourselves. <laughs>
1: I, we're going to be talking about Hiding Out. I don't I don't know if I can help it, but...
0: I love Hiding Out. I'm really excited fun, to it, talk
1: about it. It is a fun movie. If you haven't seen it, it is currently streaming on uh, Prime, Amazon Prime.
0: It's on... Yeah, I think so. I think it recently got added, so it should be on for a while.
1: Yeah, or like one of the other million streaming services that just came online, so... It's crazy, man. Hiding Out, John Cryer, 1987, The Legend Lives On.
0: I've been adding uh, a list of all the movies that we've been doing to a list on Letterboxd. Uh, My name on there, I think, is just John Richardson. And uh, feel free to follow me on there and you'll be able to watch my my diary of, of what I watch every day which lately since I've been getting through cheers hasn't been a daily thing but a near daily thing. Oh, but man. I've it's- been I've been writing rev- I've been writing reviews for each movie as haikus. Oh, rikus? Yeah. Sometimes they're not reviews as much as they are just m- commenting about some aspect of the movie but in the form of a haiku. That's a great idea. Thanks. I'm going to go read some. And Make sure to subscribe to our new podcast, Under, Nirm- Under Normal Circumstances, <laughs> a.k.a. i Zanya, I- And uh, just kidding. We're not doing that. But, no. uh So, yeah. F- follow us at Ruined Childhoods Pod on Instagram, ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com if you have anything that you want to add. You have anything else? Let us know. No. Like, let us know what are your favorite movies from 1987. Yeah, we we haven't decided the full roster for the rest of the month. So No, and I know that we're going to do hear your thoughts. I know we're going to do an episode where
1: we talk about all the movies that we're not going to go into depth into depth on, so I don't know
0: about all of the movies that we're not going to go into full detail oh, on. no, it's going to be of like movies. it is
1: going to be a we didn't start the fire of 1987 <laughs> movies. <laughs> it's just listing the okay. movies and then Spaceballs, RoboCop, the Untouchables, I'm going to stop. I don't know. Yeah. Very I, nice. I don't know. I'll work on it for for next time. So, that's And said. to
0: quote a 1987 movie, Dan, I've been looking for you. Sorry. Good journey. Close. Good journey. Good journey.
1: Kick it. Huh? <laughs>
0: uh, introduce it, Matt. Peter and Jack, were rapping through your dad's doing the Mary rap. You're just a little lady and you need to go sleep. Don't want to hear no job talking about something to eat. Break down.
1: Lights out. Here we go. Ooh, ooh. Ooh. We will party down late lady killing dance until dawn. See your food spitting, toilet and change our song. Now we're situated, batch of stated fathers and waiting. Who'd rather hang with you than the one he's been dating? Say, Mary, did you wash your face? Say, Mary, did you brush your teeth? Yo, now might be nimble. Peter, be quick. Jap us a rhyme and make it slick. And little lady Mary, we say please just close, close your mind. eyes and cop some Z's.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just close your eyes and cop some Z's. Just close your eyes and cop some Z's. Just close your eyes and cop some Z's. I need a drink.